TSXON Audio. Hello everybody. Welcome back to another week in review for week five of 2024. It is Sunday, the 4th of February, at just around 9.30 in the morning here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia, and we've got a few things to get through. And uh, what I've done is preserved the order of putting the genocide at the top, but it has now been outweighed by the Southwest Asia, also the conflagration section, uh, with 10 articles to 19 from Annie Wall, as I've categorised them in these subsections. So let's move on. The genocide in Gaza. Nancy Pelosi says calls for Gaza ceasefire is, quote, Putin's message, end quote. Israeli ministers attend, quote, resettle Gaza, end quote, conference. Israel says, quote, significant gaps, end quote, remain after hostage deal talks. Israel struggles to destroy Hamas tunnels. White House denies report that it's considering leverage military aid to Israel. Hamas reasserting control over areas of northern Gaza. Netanyahu says he won't withdraw from Gaza for new hostage deal. U.S. troops put on standby for potential U.S. ground involvement in Gaza. Fucking aeroplanes. U.S. troops put on standby for potential U.S. ground involvement in Gaza. U.S. Republican Mast, a former IDF soldier, says Palestinian babies killed in Gaza are not, quote, innocent civilians. Israel announces it will attack Gaza border city of Rafah. Moving on to section two, Southwest Asia, the conflagration. Three American troops killed in drone attack in Jordan. Senators call for U.S. to bomb Iran in response to drone attack in Jordan. House lawmakers tell Biden he must seek authorization to bomb Yemen. Iran denies role in drone attack that killed three U.S. troops. Israeli airstrikes hit Damascus, several reported killed. Pentagon admits it has no evidence Iran was behind drone attack that killed three U.S. troops in Jordan. Report, drone that hit U.S. base in Jordan followed an American drone. I'm going to follow up on that. Biden says he decided how to respond to drone attack that killed three U.S. troops. Israel Defense Minister, troops will go into action, quote, very soon, end quote, in Lebanon. Iraq's Khadib Hezbollah suspends military operations against U.S. U.S. launches 11th round of strikes against Houthis in Yemen. And I'm adding a subtitle for this. Echoing the EU's 11 <laughs> sections package against Russia. Report. US plans weeks-long bombing campaign against Iranian targets. Report. Iraqi government Iran pressured Khaytib Hezbollah to stop attacking US. US Navy ship had close call with Houthi missile in the Red Sea. Lloyd Austin, quote, we don't know, end quote, if Iran was involved in Jordan drone attack. Qatar says Hamas received hostage proposal, quote, positively, end quote, but no deal yet. U.S. strikes Iranian military targets in Iraq and Syria. Iraqi bases housing U.S. troops attacked following strikes on militias in Iraq and Syria. U.S. strikes in Iraq and Syria kill about 40, including civilians. Next section, NATO stand. 
EU plans to sabotage Hungary's economy if Orbán blocks Ukrainian aid. US to deploy nukes in UK for the first time in 15 years. Representative Massey hints at impeachment if Biden starts a war with Iran. EU gets Hungary to agree to 50 billion euro aid package for Ukraine. Next section, Ukraine slash Russia. Zelensky expected to oust his top general. Final section, China slash Taiwan slash Southeast Asia. US establishes new stockpile in Australia to prepare for war over Taiwan. End anti-war headlines. Part two, other voices. And this week, part two also takes all of the time normally spent on part three, which I shifted to the pre-weekend review podcast because there's a lot to go through. And some of this material, all of this material has come to my attention this week and a lot of it was published this week too. And it's just wonderful. It, it demands the attention. So I make a little uh, textual note in the extensive textual record that goes with this audio podcast, now which I'll repeat here, and that is that the subsections in Other Voices get modified over time uh, to embrace the sorts of topics that are being covered. And we've got two new sections here, and I've put them at the top. Normally I stick them <laughs> towards the bottom, whatever. Anyway, uh, we've got geopolitics. And we've also got Zeitgeist. The other point I make at the textual note is that I'm going to add a sort of parenthesis, asterisk, parenthesis at the end of references that I've already used in the articles this week. So you can sort of go, oh, right, he's really looked at this. Anyway, we begin with geopolitics. An introduction to this would be simply that the US has illegally begun Iraq War 4.0. The U.S. has just bombed a whole lot of stuff in Iraq and Syria in response to this attack, apparently, on Tower 22 in Jordan. It has no UN approval to do this. It has been requested by Iraqi parliament to leave Iraq. So it is occupying Iraq still. It is attacking Iraq, and the forces it's attacking are, it says, you know, uh, Qaytib, Hezbollah, and various others, and these are already acknowledged publicly, as components of the Iraqi defense system, i.e. these are paramilitaries that are actually supported by the Iraqi government. They haven't been round up and put in jail, have they? No. So the US is attacking paramilitary forces that have the support of the Iraqi government. I mean, the Iraqi government's been negotiating with them to ask them to stand down, right? They're not being put in jail, they're being negotiated with. So this is straight up Iraq War 4.0. Now, the top article uh, for the week, in my view, although it's a very tight contest, is will the hegemon ever accept a new Westphalian world order? And that is a very poor title by Beba Escobar, in my view. But what's she got to do? <laughs> However, the article is, is uh, very good and it's right up my alley and I'll explain why. First of all, it contains oh, these damn planes. I'll just pause for a moment. I'm feeling for these people in Iraq and Syria. Let's put it that way. Right. This article contains probably the subheadline of the year, <laughs> certainly the subheadline of the week, which is Mackinder is hit by a train. To understand that, you, 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 maybe you need to go back in my archives a bit. I am a subscriber of 
Macindarian analysis, which is to say, basically, if you've ever played the game of Risk, you understand why nobody is ever allowed to control the whole of the Asian continent. Because you get seven armies per turn, which means you your production ratio is just off the planet and therefore you can beat everyone else. And you're never allowed to hold the Asian continent in risk for this very reason. And that's exactly what's happening. The combination of Russia and China are essentially uh, executing a control over Asia. Uh, the analysis that Mackinder did was that, okay, we've got these maritime powers, which is the US, the UK, you know, the European maritime powers, and then the US as well. And the analysis was published in 1906, right? It was, oh, the advent of the railway proposes, uh, or it poses a counterpoint to the, the, the uh, maritime trade control, uh, i.e. the railways will potentially re-establish the trade routes that were previously facilitated by the nomads of Central Asia. Anyway, that's what this article is about, essentially, and it involves all of the things I've been talking about for ages, you know, the BRICS Plus and the SEO and the AIIB, that's the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, and the NDB, that's the New Development Bank, all this stuff. It's all in there in one article. It's, so it's just, I'm just, you know, it's dripping with all of the geopolitical analysis to which I subscribe. However, the article is actually a book review, and the book is by Glenn Deason, who you may have seen has been involved with the Duran interviewing various intelligent and interesting guests on geopolitical topics, often around Russia. And that's because he spent some time at the New Economic School in Moscow, under the, which is headed by a Sergei Karaganov, who is a very, very respected member of Russia's uh, intelligentsia, I suppose you could say. And one of the things about Russia is not only that they understand their history, as we pointed out last week, they also have a very public discussion about geopolitics. And so within, I provide a link here as well to an article published on the 1st of January this year by Karaganov. So I'm trying, so it's, it's a greater picture story going on here. So please read the article by Escobar. And then there's this book coming up by Deason, Professor Deason from Norway. Uh, and associate damn planes, pause again. And if it's not the planes, it's the damn cicadas. <laughs> what can you do? Anyway, so the point is uh, that, yeah, Deason, Karaganov, uh, Escobar. That's the picture here, and it's a book review. And it's wonderful. So moving along, <laughs> we next have, has international law survived or has the Western political class killed it by Craig Murray? And it's important to remember that Craig Murray was uh, the journalist in the courtroom for the ICJ proceedings. This is his article that summarises the implications of the decision they made based upon his presence of being there as well. So I include that because it's an important uh, piece of writing. And second of all, it echoes within it the concepts that I'm putting forth in that uh, Civilization Civil War article that I put out this week. Next, we move on to Hyperimperialism by Vijay Prashad. And this is a short piece that introduces the thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the pre-Week in Review podcast, the 72nd dossier. So I'm not going to go too much on about that, but I include it because it's important. Next, we move on to the Zeitgeist. 
So the reason this section exists is Caitlin Johnston, who is a brilliant reader of the zeitgeist. And there's an interesting thing. When one conceptualizes and then realizes an abstract thing, it exists as a, as a concept. And that existence allows other things to be connected to it, which is, in my view of how the brains at all, that's how my brain works anyway, connecting ideas together. And so because I'd created the zeitgeist, I then could see other articles that, that were in, already selected for this, this week in review. And, oh, they belong there. Anyway, interesting stuff. Whatever. Here we go. So the article is, Never before has the empire been so exposed. And I'm just going to read one tiny section of it. Because she's brilliant. If Israel was the moral and responsible force it purports to be, It wouldn't need a huge army of paid and unpaid apologists running around all day, every day, explaining why its latest documented atrocity is fine, is being misunderstood, didn't happen, or is someone else's fault. Punctum. From there we move on to a collection of interesting articles. (laughs) Remote Warfare and Expendable People by Nick Terse and Tom Engelhardt. I mention this article for a number of reasons. It is a very compassionate look at a single case of the atrocity of war. The reason I mention it is primarily because I've hinted at Nick Terse before. When we were looking at that article, um, there was a few articles on what the hell's going on in uh, Franck-Afrique, the sort of rebellion of the five. Uh, sub-Saharan African nations against their French colonial rule. And the key elements of that were Niger and Nigeria. And the US has established a drone base in Niger, and Nick Terse has been following AFRICOM, that's the US command in Africa, and what the hell they've been doing there with their little lily pads and other uh, observation and drone bases and so forth all over the damn continent. So he is the expert on this. And the thing, here come the aeroplanes again. The thing with Nick Terse is that he has a folder of atrocities, war atrocities committed against civilians. He's mentioned this. And I presume he, despite his natural, oh, I'm going to have to pause, desire to not look in this folder of atrocity, He must, every now and then, examine it just to be sure that it exists. He, like, for example, Eva Bartlett or Patrick Lancaster and, for example, Chris Hedges, must have experienced degrees of human atrocity which I just cannot imagine and could not stomach for that matter. So this story is a humanisation of the victims of one of these cases and the other reason I mention this article is Tom Engelhart. Tom Engelhart has been the editor of Tom's Dispatch, which is a fairly mainstream anti-war publication from the US that publishes people like Andrew Basevich and so forth. And I believe that Nick Terse has become the editor there. Tom Engelhart's getting on a bit, and so I believe uh, Nick has taken on the role. So I highlight the good publication uh, of Tom's Dispatch. It's a very good uh, publication in that the quality of the writing is always excellent and it follows uh, a fairly mainstream anti-war course. But this article is just beautiful. Moving right along, 
We have Western officials warn of war crimes complicity by Jake Johnson, originally published at Common Dreams and republished by Consortium News. And this is the first of a couple of articles which, like the above one by Murray, support the article I published about civilizational civil war. What Mr Johnson is reporting is that 800 administrative officials from Europe and the US have signed an open letter, an anonymous open letter, for they fear reprisal, alerting their administrative heads, the heads of government, that they do not support the continued support, be that um, political support, i.e. diplomatic support, or military support for Israel in its current genocide. They can see what's coming. And which is interesting, because I'm sure that the heads of government can too, but they're not doing anything. And so the question is, why? So this is a hint of what's coming. So this is zeitgeist level understanding and protest against this absolute, this political suicide, which is being committed by the political leaders, not all of them, but some of them in Europe and certainly in the US. And the next article is called US Judge Rebukes Biden Administration for, quote, unflagging support, unquote, for Israel's genocide. And this is by Canadian lawyer and activist Dmitry Laskaris at his own site. And within it, he uh, looks at a case that was brought by a couple of civilian organisations in the US protesting uh, the government's unflagging support for da 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 And the judge rightfully rules that, sorry about this, um, foreign policy is exclusive with the purview of the executive branch of government. There are you know, there's, there's precedent on this. I cannot intervene here. Sorry about that. But in his judgment, he issues a stinging rebuke. That's further evidence, and this time not from the, the um, public sector, the administration, but from the leg- legislature. And he references the ICJ judgment in this. So, it's, so what I'm saying is that this protest against this stupidity which is occurring at the political level is happening from within the administrations and the judiciary and within some of it uh, in various parliaments from the legislatures as well. There is a common understanding that right now what's happening is political suicide and they want nothing to do with it. So moving right along, we move on to the genocide in Gaza section. And the first article here, Palestinians Still Not Denied Right to Dream, by Vijay Prashad, is exquisite. This article could well be a study case for these bloody planes. Uh, Any course, say, on international relations, on art, on history, uh, on uh, journalism, it is magnificent in its construction and its tenderness and its historical context. So I I wish to take one tiny point from it and highlight that to you because it's a point that I like to make and which I believe quite a number of people are unaware of because of the propaganda efforts of the Zionists. Vijay is speaking of Ben Gvir, the Israeli National Security Minister and the judgment by the International Court of Justice, which the Israeli political leadership described as an anti-Semitic court and does not seek justice, but rather the persecution of the Jewish people. So this is the context in which Vijay is writing. Quote, Strangely, Ben Gavir accused the ICJ of being, quote, 
silent during the Holocaust, end quote. The Holocaust, conducted by the Nazi German regime and its allies against European Jews, the Romani, homosexuals, communists and others, took place from 1941 until May 1945, when the Soviet Red Army liberated prisoners from Ravensbrück, Sachshausen and Stutthof concentration camps, end quote. The reason I mention this is because the constant emphasis by the Jewish population of the fact that six million, thereabouts, of them were massacred, essentially, by the Nazis is absolutely well and true. I mean, you can argue about numbers, but it's a, it's a thing. They were absolutely persecuted uh, and killed, slaughtered, massacred by the Malthusian, social Darwinist, ethno-supremacist Nazis. But they were not the only target. In fact, the collective death toll is around 15 million, if my memory serves, and it included these other groups. And amongst them, not even mentioned by Vijay here, are anyone with a physical deformity. So if you were born with a disability, you were just not good enough to live. The, all of the paraplegics, the, the quadriplegics, the whatever, birth defects, any sort, like you were exterminated as well. However, th- this is the thing that is constantly ignored. It was the, the well, he says communists, but also uh, any, uh, any socialists, union organisers, all of the homosexuals, all of the homosexuals, the Romani, right, so that's the, the you know, European gypsies, all of these people were persecuted by these ethno-supremacist assholes. So it's a small point that he makes. It's a tiny point, within, and it's not even really that particular to the greater article, but it's an example of Vijay providing accurate historical context within his articles. And with that which we'll move on. The next three are articles that I referenced in that uh, Civilization Civil War piece, uh, the first of which is by Jeffrey Sachs, published at Consortium News, Screw the Plains, which is Israel cannot hide from the UN court, which is true, right? It, there's no escape from the public opinion that, that comes from uh, an ICJ judgment. You, you're sort of stuck with it. And the other two articles by uh, Hedges and uh, Jonathan Cook, The Silence of the Damned and By Hurting the UN Agency, The West Sides with Genocide, uh, by Cook respectively, these point at the attempt at destruction of the UN Refugee, sorry, Relief and Works Agency, which was established by the UN as a parallel refugee organisation at the desire of the Zionists and with the support of its Western backers in 1949 to ensure that the processing of uh, Jewish refugees in Europe for their relocation to settle the land that they just cleared in the Nakba would not be handled in the same way as the processing of the uh, Palestinian refugees that they just created during the Nakba. It's quite devastating, this piece of history. I was not aware of it, beautifully pointed out by Jonathan Cook. So... Moving along to the next section, in Southwest Asia, the conflagration, we have USA Keeps Fighting for Iran by Scott Horton, published at Anti-War as an opinion piece in which Scott Horton just lays out the historical background. It's very obvious. This is just evidence of the dual national uh, US-Israeli uh, uh, members of continuous US administrations. These are often lab- labelled as the Straussian neocons. 
in that Strauss was one of their mentors. And you, there's various articles on this, go, go hunting. Look up Straussian neocon. And so that's a wonderful piece of you know, historical work by Horton. We then have another wonderful interview that he conducted this time with Matthew Ho, who I've commented before has been providing excellent commentary on judging freedom. So here is Ho with Horton. Moving on to NATO, Stan, we have The Foreign Policy Blob's Desperate Attempt to Preserve NATO by Ted Galen Carpenter and republished at uh, Natalie's Place, Understanding Russia, which is an examination by Carpenter, who's a common author, published in the opinion section and at Antiwar, of the desperate attempt by the elements of the elite, essentially, to work out how to preserve NATO, because it's a wonderful cash cow. So this is back to the military industrial complex and so forth. It's a lovely piece, so check it out. And then we have a topic which is dear to my heart because I like the game of cricket. <laughs> and it is uh, also echoes work that's done by Vijay Prashad uh, through the Tri-Continental uh, Institute for Social Research and another of his projects, which is the People's Dispatch. And they produce a daily debrief. And this is daily debrief, the bid to bury Imran Khan. So if you remember, Imran Khan, former Prime Minister of Pakistan, was ousted in a coup, which was funded by the US. They, they bribed two members of Pakistan's parliament to cross the floor and vote with the opposition to pass a no-confidence motion in Imran Khan. He obtained the essentially diplomatic cable, the internal uh, Pakistani uh, record of this essential attempt at bribery and which succeeded he had a copy of this and he the allegation is that he published this i've never seen him release it uh in any way i've seen him interviewed on ashran Batanzi's going underground program and in various other places but in any case that's what the court uh, found and the court did not allow khan's legal representatives to uh, cross-examine the witnesses the uh, khan was in a jail at the time uh, i mean this is a very very suspicious legal circumstances in which uh, the judgment was found and essentially it amounts to the fact that he will spend 10 years in, in jail. And there's other things going on too. There were two judgments, one of which is 10 years and the other which is 14 years, one of which is for the release, uh, the public, yeah, the declassification, I suppose, of the uh, diplomatic document. And there's another of which I can't remember the days of. But anyway, they will certainly be covered in uh, these two. So the first is uh, the Daily Debrief, and that's a video. And then there is uh, an article by Abid Hussein of Al Jazeera, which will give the textual details of the court's judgment. Moving along, we have Ukraine slash Russia, and an article here, which was published a little while back in the middle of January, and it's by Ted Snyder and Nikolai N. Petro. And if you've been paying attention, you'll recognise Nikolai N. Petro. He is a professor at the University of Rhode Island and he speaks Ukrainian and Russian and English and I believe he has Ukrainian relatives. He's very sensitive to the conflict that's going on in, that has been and still is going on in Ukraine. He published a very interesting book based upon looking at Greek tragedy and the role that that played in Greek society and looking at how the ethnic and cultural divisions within Ukraine, which existed before the conflict, before the 
coup and the Nazis, Nazis being included in the government that was not elected but formed by the US after the coup, uh, that then went and started persecuting the Russian uh, ethnic and Russian-speaking population in the east of Ukraine, how this can be healed. That's his, he's always been looking at this problem from a solutions perspective. And this article, To End the War in Ukraine, Expose Its Core Lie, is by Petro Antejnado, who's another person who is commonly published at Anti-War in the Opinion section. So, uh, and there's also a video down below which was published uh, or republished by uh, Pascal Lotaz of Neutrality Studies, in which Petro reads the article. So there you go. And then in the Ukraine-Russia section, the second article is a lovely little thing, because I like to have some happy news now and then. And this is uh, titled, Eli did a wonderful job, dot, 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 because we're in dot, dot, dot land, <laughs> in Andrei Martyanov's reminiscence of the future, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and it is a very, very short article in which he encourages people to watch this video, which is included below. And so this is a tour of Volgograd, which was previously named Stalingrad, but the name was changed during the Stalin purge in the Soviet Union. And uh, amongst the uh, things in which uh, Eli um, documents and experiences in her little video, there is the, the discovery of the actual paper, a copy of the actual paper that was published in the Soviet Union on the 8th, uh, 7th and then 8th of May, talking about the surrender of Nazi Germany. Anyway, it's a wonderful little video, so I, I encourage you to watch it. And then, uh, was there anything in the China, Taiwan, Southeast Asia that section that I thought was significant from other voices, the answer is nope. However, there is something under the Assange topic, and that is that Kathy Vogan, who's the video editor for CN Live's production, did an interview with an Australian senator, senator and Member of Parliament. And that is an examination of what Australia is doing to support the future, in coming very soon, uh, last activity by... Assange's legal team to enable him to not be extradited to the United States. So that will, I hope, examine, I haven't watched it, uh, examine a little bit of the history of Australia's uh, involvement in supporting Assange, the uh, uh, cross-parliamentary group, uh, which has been in support of his shim rights and so forth. It's going, hang on, you're locking up a journalist for nothing? Again, just a quick revision. The one misdemeanor for which Mr. Assange has been found guilty uh, was a bail violation, and that was because at the time when he was violating his bail, he, were, he was being issued diplomatic asylum by the government of Ecuador and was in the embassy in Knightsbridge. So that was the crime he committed, well, misdemeanor or whatever it is, the normal punishment for which is a small fine. Uh, but nonetheless, the, George, the, the court decided to give him 10 months in prison and they sent him off to the highest security prison in Britain, Belmarsh, which is where he still resides. And he is guilty of no crime and has been in prison for well over four years for nothing. So there, that, that, this is part of the reason why people are a bit pissed off about this. Anyway, uh, and then we move on to the video section and I'll just leave you to peruse that. Oh, let's just have a quick examination. Yeah, there's an interesting bit there with uh, Utanzi uh, invest, uh, interviewing a gentleman from the uh, Rabat, I think it is, Pami. Uh, yeah, Balad, sorry. Starting again. There's an interview from a week or so back by 
in Going Underground by Batanzi, in which he interviews the leader of the Balad Party and a former member of the Israeli Knesset. And the title for that is Gaza Genocide, the only, quote, legitimate voices, end quote, in Israel are genocidal fascists. And then we have uh, one of the interviews between uh, Tremblay and this time Lascaris, the Canadian activist and lawyer, uh, and they discuss the outcome of the ICJ ruling. And I think this is potentially very useful. Again, I have not yet had the time to watch this because Lascaris is a lawyer. So to put him together with the other legal experts that I have been um, supplying commentary of through this newsletter, and those would be obviously Francis A. Boyle, Makouris, Murray, uh, I don't think he's a trained lawyer, but he's very familiar with the law because he was a former diplomat, had to be. And now we have Lascaris, uh, amongst some others. Uh, and then there's the video from Eli from Russia. And then, this is good, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. Is Netanyahu a terrorist? This is a stupid damn title and another stupid question from Napolitano. His questions are not always that good, uh, but his guests are fantastic. And Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson is one of those wonderful guests. He, to me, fits with a whole set of um, former American uh, military commanders that at the rank of colonel. They seem to... You know, there are very few generals out there who actually talk about the misdemeanors of the US military. They seem not to get to general if they ever have any inclination of saying things like this. It's the colonels who have things to say. And, of course, uh, Colonel Wilkerson was... Um, Colin Powell's head of staff during the disastrous presentation at the UN Security Council, which was the US's attempt to legitimise their completely illegitimate invasion of Iraq back in 2003. So he knows a thing or three about this stuff. And you know, in, that, in that group of colonels, of course, I would include people like McGregor, and there are a few others as well. So I just like Wilkerson. He's taken the time to reflect on the activities he's undertaken and see the error in some of his ways and has been leading a positive effort to work at a university and assist other people in coming to a deeper understanding of what the US is about. And then we have a video from Ben Norton of Geopolitical Economics and the title is China is now the quote world's sole manufacturing superpower end quote how did it develop so fast? And so this is a nice little throw into the geoeconomics of our time. And this is the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. All this shit over Taiwan, this is what it's about. So I throw that in there just to round out the sort of geopolitical analysis, the big article with Pepe Escobar to begin with. Here's another layer uh, into that. Uh, and then lastly, there's that video from Vogan. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff from Judging Freedom as usual. And with that, I close out this episode. I hope you're all very well, and good luck in the weeks ahead. It's looking like things are going to get hotter before they cool down. Welcome back to Yes, X or No Audio.